Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I'm your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and a transformational coach for entrepreneurs, businesses, leaders, and for those who want to break the cycle of convention and redefine success one step at a time. I am on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week we have thought leaders, change instigators and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life and your business. This week, as always, I'm super excited about our guest. We have Dr. Sasha Hines. Sasha is a development psychologist and life coach who is an expert in positive psychology, lasting behavioral change, and the science of getting unstuck. Dr. Hines has leveraged her academic expertise as a former faculty member at the University of Pennsylvania's Master of Applied Positive Psychology program to give her clients the tools to change their lives for good. In her private coaching practice, she helps achievement junkies feel as good on the inside as their lives look on the outside. A graduate of Harvard University and a working mum, she's lived life on the front line of the battle with perfectionism. So she can help you with that too. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. So today we have another lovely guest for you. We have Dr. Sasha Hines. Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me join you. Oh, I'm looking forward for us to kind of deep dive and unpack our stories. And that's the way we love to start the show. So Sasha, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to share her unique story. So tell us, what inspired you to do what you do today? Uh, well, I mean, I always would say this when I was in my, um, when I was in academia, but it's really always me search. <laughs> you're never doing research. You're doing me search. I think, you know, I, I wanted to become, I, I've wanted to be a coach since in my early twenties, I had a coach and, um, back when no one even knew what a life coach was, that it was a, a rarity. Um, but I found this woman who, um, she was helping people recover from eating disorders, which is what I had. And my, uh, it sort of, sort of hit a, a crescendo or like a, a point of just total dysfunction when I was in college and, um, at, or university. And, um, anyhow, so I, I found a woman who was worked with, she worked with people to help them recover from um, their eating disorder. And I just loved it. Like I just, it was such a revelation to me. I love the modality of it. I loved, um, you know, at that point, especially when I think we, people are needing help with behavioral change, like they're in this, um, really, they're just in the despair of, this, what I call this Sisyphean hell where every day they feel like they're trying to push the boulder up the hill and then the boulder just, you know, comes right back down to the bottom the next day. And so they're, you know, whether it's, they know they're smart, they know that they're capable and yet they continue to do things that are self-destructive or sabotage themselves in ways that just seemed so frustrating and, and don't make much sense. And which is really where I was at. Um, you know, I'm obviously anyone who's struggling with an addiction can relate to that. And there was no, um, I mean, I think going to therapy and understanding, you know, the biography of, of sort of how I got to where I was, was very important, but it wasn't helping me day to day actually change my life. And that's really what I needed and what I wanted. So I ended up working with a coach and, 
from day one, you know, I just, I loved the rigor of it. I loved that there was someone who was helping me live more um, intentionally and helping me to, you know, really develop my inner integrity and my relationship with myself, my trust, reestablish my trust with myself. And, you know, it was a completely different experience for me than was working with a therapist. And from that moment on, I just decided this is really what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and then I just got lucky, a series of lucky things where I ended up, um, Martin Seligman, uh, started a positive psychology program, a master's degree in positive psychology, right around, like, I think that it, you know, there was like a listserv that seems so old school, but there was a listserv that went out that said, you know, Hey, we're starting this positive psychology program in, it was, uh, starting in the fall of 2005. And I ended up being in the first class of, uh, of that, which was really an incredible experience. And yeah. And so I just, from there, I went on to get my doctorate and, um, and now I work with clients both doing individual and group coaching programs. But I, you know, I just, I, I really decided I was one of those weirdos who decided at 23, what I wanted to do with my life and then systematically went after it. Wow, I love that. And I'm sitting here very curious. What's your specialty in coaching? Is there anything anything specifically that you hone into? Um, I, I really work with high achievers. I work with um, that, you know, I call them achievement junkies, uh, people that have managed their shame and their inner critic by just trying to outrun and sort of hustle for their worthiness and, um, you know, most of, by the time they find me, they're at this place of, um, or at a point of feeling burnt out and exhausted and, and sort of, um, and, and it's good because it just feels so fruitless, you know, every single accolade, every single achievement, you know, grabbing the brass ring has just always felt like a Pyrrhic victory. It, they, they, they get to the point where they achieve something and there's, and they think it's going to make them feel better and they're finally going to allow themselves to feel good enough. And then they achieve the thing and then it, you know, sort of won't, won't <laughs> and they, they get there and like, yep, nope, that didn't work. Don't feel that much better. And then they have to go out and do another thing, right? They have to go out and accomplish another extraordinary feat. And, and, um, most of my clients, when they get to me, are sort of at that point of saying, like, I'm really done. I'm exhausted. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. And then where to from there? What What is the common stories that you hear? Well, I mean, I think the fear of, of you know, when people start working with me is if I let go of the critic, if I let go of the, you know, just this relentless um, self-criticism, then I'm never going to do anything. Right. And I, I have to push myself. If I don't push myself, then I'm not going to accomplish anything. And, and, and the, and the fear is right. Is like ultimately on some fundamental level, then I won't be worthy. I won't be, um, you know, I, I won't be worthy of existing as, I mean, it sounds so, uh, it may be a little hyperbolic, but that's really what the primitive brain is telling them. Right. Um, and, and so I think they're, they're scared to, to do it. They, they do want to live a big life and keep, you know, pushing themselves and challenging themselves to grow, but they're, but to do it from a place of like joy and excitement and, and interest and curiosity and from a place of positive emotion and, and intrinsic, you know, internal motivation, as opposed to constantly seeking external validation, constantly, um, you know, sort of taking everybody's temperature, like, have I done enough? Am I good enough? What do you think? Am I, you know, how am I doing? Um, which is, I think gets to the point where you just feel just, you know, it's just a place of total exhaustion and, and, and you sort of see, and in terms of like, you know, inner, uh, cohesion, you feel sort of fractured because you're constantly looking there, you know, your, your orientation to the world is externally looking in as opposed to internally looking out. Mm. So for our listeners, cause I hear this quite a fair bit and, um, the fear of letting go of the inner critic is actually a driver for them to achieve or be successful mm -hmm. at whatever they may be. So 
What would be a piece of advice for our listeners, for those that are like that, there are those achievement junkies where they have got the fear of letting go their inner critic? Well, I mean, I would, I, I often will say to my clients, like, I think that you, you know, when they're, I, I really believe that they've achieved in spite of that voice, not because of that voice. So I just think it's really, in a, it, you, when you are willing to, uh, you know, cross that river of doubt of like, I don't, I don't know that it's possible to accomplish what I accomplished without just hating myself along the way. Um, you know, hating myself into action, so to speak. I think it's so exciting to think about what could you accomplish without it, right? Like this is the 10 ton weight that you've been dragging and look at what you've already done. So what it could... would be it would be like achieving from a place of love rather than fear. Mm-hmm. So how yeah. do we do that? Are we, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm just guessing here, would it be more of going from a heart-centered approach where we're more compassionate about uh, ourselves and our achievement, our achievements or where we're heading? Uh, or is it a matter of, like you said, more of an internal focus rather than external focus? Because that's a big thing too, constantly uh, you know, checking for external validation. So what would be that one thing that we could do so that we become from more of a heart-centered place rather than that external driver? Well, I mean, I think the the place that I would, you know, I mean, I come from a more cognitive, my, my approach is more cognitively oriented. So I'm always looking at how your thoughts are creating your feelings and actions and ultimately your results. But what I really want to show my clients from day one is you think that this is helping you, but then when I take them through, you know, the, what I call the cognitive coaching model and explain, show them how their brain is working, it becomes very apparent to them that the thought actually creates a terrible, doesn't actually create a great result for them. So like, let's say, you know, their thought is I'm not creative enough, um, which, or, you know, it's like you can substitute anything in there for the enough, what are you not enough? But anyhow, let's say someone's saying I'm not creative enough. And when they, when they're believing that thought, they feel, um, you know, inadequate, right? Or they, they, they feel insecure. And when they're feeling insecure, then I'll say like, what are the actions? If I was, you know, show, if I had a video filming you, what would I see, right? Action or inaction or reaction? What would I see? What is the action that this feeling of, of, um, you know, not, feeling insecure, what is that generating for you? And they would normally respond with something like, you know, well, I, I shut down or I distract myself with something else, or I, you know, get paralyzed and I can't think or, right. Those are the actions of what's happening. And I'm like, well, right. Well, what, what are those actions? What's the result that those actions create? Well, certainly, uh, not expansive thinking, not, you know, um, more creativity, right? The opposite of that. So what they realize is that the result that they create with that action is that they're not being creative. So what have, this is just the way that our brain is wired that it's called, you know, confirmation or cognitive bias, uh, confirmation or cognitive bias, but you know, your thoughts create your feelings, your feelings create your actions, and then the action creates the result. And the result that we get always gives us evidence that our thought is true. So they have a thought that they're not creative enough and then they create the result of not being very creative, right? Because of course, feeling insecure shuts them down. So, right, then they can see, they can begin to see how this loop is happening. And I think the first step is recognizing like, oh, maybe I'm wrong that this, you know, internal whip I have is useful. I really think that's the first place to start. So it's really challenging your thoughts. Absolutely. Mm. So questioning, we, sorry, go on. Yeah, just, yeah, questioning them. Okay. So you talked about cognitive coaching model. Are there steps to this model? Well, so the, I mean, it's essentially in a, you know, an elaboration of a, of the CBT model and the idea being that um, every, uh, you know, Albert Ellis in the 60s, like in the during the cognitive uh, 
you know, behavioral revolution. We really, people changed the way they did therapy in the sixties. Um, and it was Aaron, uh, Albert Ellis and Aaron Beck, but Albert Ellis had a model that was called ABC and that was, you know, activating event and the activating event. So the event activates the belief and the belief creates a consequence. And essentially the kind of coaching model I use with my clients is just a slightly more, um, uh, you know, distilled version of this model, which is the event, you know, there are events in the world, they're neutral. They're just like the facts. There are things, that's the one part, you know, everything in our lives is either, you know, a factual event or reality, what's happening externally to us, a thought, a feeling, an action that we take or the result that we create. So you can sort of break the world up into these five categories and, you know, the events or the sort of facts of our life, they activate our thoughts. So they're not good or bad until we have language, until we have a thought about it. Um, and then the thought then creates the feeling and then the feeling generates the action and the action then creates the results that we get in the world. So this is a way that I help my clients coach themselves by being able to take their experience, their internal experience and put it on paper to be able to look at it um, and to be able to see what their thoughts are actually creating. Because I think there's a lot of buzz out there, you know, in the wellness world of saying like, oh, your thoughts create your reality. And I, indeed they do. But then the question is how, you know, it's not like some woo woo mystical thing. I mean, I'm very spiritual, so <laughs> I'm not trying to poo poo sort of like the, uh, a more, um, spiritual approach to life or a spiritual orientation, but just, it's just the way your brain is wired, like the particular biases of the brain your thoughts, the way that your thoughts create your reality is this cascade of effects. So it really helps you to be able to, it gives you a very sort of linear tool to be able to take what's in your inner experience and put it on paper so that you can be your own coach and you can really examine what's going on. How am I, what is this thought creating for me? Mm, and that's a really good point because it is true what you're saying. It's, it is very much about what we think uh, and if we marinate it on or marinate on those thoughts long enough, we feel them, and therefore they show up in our physiology and and our yeah. behaviors. Absolutely. Uh, yep. So, what are your thoughts? Because you were talking about self coaching, it's a great model for self coaching. Uh, what are your thoughts around that? Um, I mean, I think everybody should learn the tool of self coaching. It's to me crazy that we all had edu the education that we did. We all went to school. And if you're like me or a professional student, you went to school for a very long time. I never learned how to manage my mind. I never learned the one skill that would actually help me um, live better and not only live better, but feel better and do, you know, better, act better, you know, act in ways that move me toward the person I really want to be, right? As opposed to continuing to take actions that sometimes feel against my own will. Mm, I love that. I love that. And some people um, either for self-coaching and others against it because um, they say that when we have these blind spots, we really do need somebody to shine those lights shine the light on those blind spots because most of the times we're not conscious of the unconscious stuff. What are your thoughts oh, on I that? Oh, I mean, I, I agree. Like, I think, you know, there's a difference between, for example, I mean, if you're going to go to a trainer um, or you're going to, uh, you know, and they're going to give you a, a program and they're going to help you or you have a coach, right? And, and they're going to, if you're, let's say you're an athlete and you're training for an event, you want a coach who can see what you can't see, right? You want a coach who can help you push you to your edge and develop even, you know, more than you would on your own. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing your workouts at home. Right. Yeah. Right. So this is really a tool for you to use to do sort of like, you know, your mental daily mental hygiene. Mm, that's well put, actually. Thank you for that, Sasha. Yeah. So I'm curious, during your adventurous journey, what has been one of the greatest lessons learned thus far? Oh, my goodness. Um, that is a great 
and hard to answer question. What's the greatest lesson I've learned so far? I think the greatest lesson that I've really learned is really understanding this, that my internal world of my thoughts, feelings, actions, and results are a hundred percent my responsibility. Mm. No one makes me feel anything. No one makes me do anything. That's all generated in my inner experience. So it is a tough pill to swallow because it means that there's no more blame which can feel really good sometimes. It really feels great to blame other people for our problems. But it also is the, it's the source of the most empowering life possible because you always are able to, you, anything then becomes solvable, right? There's so no true. situation that's out of your control. There's events that happen that you have no control over. Like all the events in your life are totally out of your control including other people's behavior, including your past, including the weather and geopolitics and all of those other things. You have no control over them, but you do have control over how you respond to them. And then that, you know, your entire inner experience is 100% in your control. And I find that to be hard, some days hard to wrap my head around and just enormously liberating. So true. I say it all the times. When as soon as I hear someone say, "Oh, such and such made me feel so angry," I turn around and I say, "It's impossible. No one can make you feel anything unless you mm -hmm. allow them to." And um, and it's true. It like you said, it's a hard pill to swallow when you're talking about that. No one can make you feel anyway uh, unless you allow them to. It is about, um, like you said, it, there could be that it feels good to blame others. But it is a big piece around accountability. And sometimes that's why people resist doing the deep work because mm -hmm. of being accountable for sure. what's inside them. I mean, I think that I, I mean, I think about blaming other people. It really is like, um, it's like binging on ice cream or over drinking, you know, drinking more than, you know, it's like, it feels good in the moment. And then it really leaves a terrible hangover. Yes, because there's nothing you can do. Right. So in the moment, it's great to go out and have a drink with a friend. And, you know, we all and, and you know, oh, I'm so angry at this person. Can you believe that? And that's the job of a friend, right? They're going to empathize with you and agree and tell you that you're whatever your kids are terrible or your spouse is the problem or whatever. And it feels good in the moment to be validated. But then the hangover is there's nothing you can do about it. There's so nothing like once you've outsourced your experience of life, once you've outsourced your feelings to somebody else, you've got zero control. So, you know, it, it's, it is, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's very much, um, you know, a primal, your primal brain, your subcortical brain that's, that wants instant gratification and immediate reward it loves to blame other people because it feels good in the moment. But in terms of the long-term result that you get, you know, it leaves you rather, it, it leaves you entirely powerless. So true. I, I really resonate with that. And I, I absolutely, I love the way that you put it. It's a hangover. It might feel good instantly, uh, but then the hangover could last, you know. Well, for me, my hangovers when I do, uh, and I'm a, uh, what we call a cheap drunk I have a glass or two of wine and that's enough for me uh, but then and I don't know if it's just one of those things as we mature we're just not as um I don't know I feel like I, I it takes me a lot longer to recover so that's why I say it yeah. could be the hangover could be for a week yeah sure yeah yeah, yeah you can feel off your game for a long time and then right and the the only thing that we can ever the only time we can ever solve what's going on with us is when we're taking responsibility when we're actually looking at how am i creating this situation for myself with my thoughts yeah mm 
And that's, I mean, to do that, to do that kind of work is also you need to slow down. I don't know about you, Sasha, but for me, that's one of the biggest things people find hard to do. And I even, um, you know, suggest maybe just five minutes a day. Invest that five minutes on just connecting with your thoughts, your feelings, yeah. and just journal those down. And they find that even hard. What what What's your trick? Like how do you um, – I mean, I, I know for me, for example, we had a good laugh at it yesterday. I was interviewing another lady. Uh, I get up at 4.15 every day to meditate and journal and because I, I um, have a pretty f- full day and uh, so I still make the time. So when people say I don't have the time, for me it's like if you really make the time and you really want to do it, you'll do it. And we're talking about five minutes so do you get that I mean, kind I of push? I mean, I bow down, you wake up at 4.15. That is next level. So I, I it will evolve to you. I don't know. That's amazing. My That would be a very peaceful time in my house because yes. I have little kids. So Yeah, but I do go to bed wonderful. at 8.30. And my son always says, Mom, I think you're the only person in the world that's in bed at that time. I said, no, all the other children are in bed at that time as well. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that we love to ask our woman of inspiration is pain points. We believe everybody's got pain points. So Sasha, what would be a pain point for you, whether it's in business or life? And how do you find a solution to your pain points? Um, pain point for me would be feeling, um, me for, for me, it would be feeling overwhelm. I, it's just feels terrible. And I, that to me is such a red flag. Like the minute I start to feel overwhelmed, I know that there is a thought error involved. So I may not catch the thought that's causing my, you know, feeling of overwhelm. I'm not going to catch my unconscious thinking, but I definitely can feel like, okay, hold on a second. You're feeling very overwhelmed right now. Something, there's a, you know, there's a glitch in the system. There's a thought error happening. That's really kind of where I can identify. Like that's the red flag for me. Mm, I love that. And do you think that, because I got to get that myself uh, where I get overwhelmed, but I think it's also when I connect with my thoughts, I'm caught in a loop and I'll think mm-hmm. about, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Oh, tomorrow I've got to do this. And I'm way, I'm way ahead of time uh, and then not being present. So is that the loop oh, I, that you talk about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But there's always for me sort of fundamental mistake in my thinking, whether that's like, all, something has to get done by a certain date or if, if it doesn't get like, you know, one of my, one of my favorite thoughts that's not particularly useful is, um, if I don't get this done right now, it'll never get done. That is not a useful thought, right? That creates a lot of like unnecessary angst mm. and unnecessary anxiety. So it's like finding those underlying thought systems or belief systems that, you've probably thought for many years that cause that are the source of the overwhelm. Like, why am I running around doing a million things? Why am I not just following through on the schedule that I created for myself? Why do I feel like, you know, a squirrel gathering nuts right now? Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. So I see what you're saying. And right. I so it's like, this, I was just thinking about this because I actually had this happen this morning because <laughs> we're unpacking boxes and putting things away. And, um, and I was thinking, you know, like I, it's like, I'm, as I said, like a squirrel gathering nuts, like I see something, a pile of something that needs to be taken care of or right. And then my brain wants to just like, Oh, go, let's go deal with this. And oh, if I don't do this now, it'll never get done. And I can hear myself saying this like, okay, that's not true. That's actually a totally irrational thought, right? There's lots of things that I plan to do in advance that I'm not going to do now that are hundred percent going to get done because I plan to do them. Yeah, I I, right, so, I I get that too. Yeah. So it's just right paying attention to that, um, you know, like what's creating the urgency that maybe is like at the at the root of all of this. Like maybe that's actually not accurate. Maybe that's not a particularly rational thought, which by the way, it isn't because most of our thoughts are not very rational at all. No. <laughs> I'm having like a- it's a good bet that it's not rational. Yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm sitting here with a smile on my face because when my husband sees me do that, so I'll be doing, so I'm the same thing. I'll be almost, and it's multitasking uh, where I'll go, oh, I better pick up this file. I better do it now because it probably won't get done. Otherwise it won't leave my 
thought process. So if I if I know I have to do something, if I don't do it right there and then, it will just kind of linger in my brain. So the quicker mm-hmm. I get it done, the better for me. For and there is don't know why there's a level of of uh, urgency, but my husband says there's your OCD again. <laughs> right. And there's and there's times when that serves you and then there's times when it really doesn't. Mm. Yeah, true. Right? True. Yeah. Yeah, there's times when that can be useful and then there's times when that actually just causes unnecessary, you know, I I call it like, you know, I don't I, I used to swim when I was little and we used to have these things um in practice called a drag suit. So it would be an extra bathing suit that you would put on top of your swimsuit that would have holes in it. And so, you you know, it was like an old one that was kind of baggy so that it would create more drag in the water. And it would, the whole point of it was that you'd wear it in practice and then, you know, you would be practicing with your drag suit and then on race day, you take your suit off and then you're swimming faster. Right. So I love it. That's the idea, but for you, right. Like some days that might be useful, but other days that belief system, like is like wearing a drag suit. It makes everything so much harder. It makes your brain more messy. Thank you for that uh, visual. I'm a visual person and uh, now I will have that very clear right? in my mind. As you're like running around doing your thing, you're like, am I wearing my drag? Is this my drag suit? Am I wearing my drag suit? For me, it's often the case. I'm like, right. It would be so much better if I just put in my calendar, you know, an hour of doing tidying up or whatever. And then that's the plan. And then I plan it and then it's over. That would be much more uh, it, it would be a, a much more calm way of getting something done without all of the unnecessary, you know, drama. So like associated with it. So true. Right. Mm, I love it. I love it. So Sasha, when we uh, started our call, you were talking about your target market. You work with a lot of women and I'm guessing also a lot of women in business and entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you say? What do you think is a number one reason that most individuals fail to succeed in business? Absolutely unwilling to feel uncomfortable feelings. Right. If you want to start a business, it is, a, it's hard. A lot fail, right? You are going to have to do things that you don't want to do. You're going to have to put yourself out into the world in a way that maybe feels vulnerable and scary. Um, you're going to have to test things, test, test approaches, and then have them fail and then redo them. It's going to be a lot of trial and error. And if you're unwilling to feel embarrassment, disappointment, failure, uh, shame, um, frustration, if you're unwilling to feel those feelings or you want to avoid feeling those feelings, it's going to be very hard to get your business off the ground. So true. And it's such a big one, isn't it? When you think about it, it is about, um, I always say, get comfortable with being uncomfortable if you want to start a business, because it is really uncomfortable. And it is about really pushing yourself and even myself. I mean, I've been in business for 10 years. And I probably, and the listeners would know just a couple of years ago, I realized that I had a fear of success so that Mm -hmm. what I would do is uh, sabotage when something really big would come my way. Uh, so it's a never-ending uh, journey. It's not it kind of we're never done when it comes to business. Oh no! I mean, of course, as you're always expanding and growing, so you're always coming up against, you know, your upper limit, or you're always kind of hitting that wall and having to push through it, which never feels. Uh, it does not feel delightful in the moment. That's for sure, right? It's it's like you're you're having to push your pushing yourself to your edge is. In, in, you know, that is always going to feel really challenging. I think one of the things that happens is that people will start a business thinking like, oh, I want to be successful in business because I want to feel comfortable, right? Because being successful means I'm going to be maybe financially comfortable, right? To make more money, to do well. But the problem is, is that the process of getting that success is not going to be comfortable. Yeah. So there's a problem from the, from the get-go which is the reason that you want to start the business is to be comfortable, but the process of creating the business is not going to be comfortable. 
right? So this is like, this is the first thing you're going to have to deal with. That's so true. Yeah. And you actually just talked about upper limit. For our listeners, would you like to sort of unpack what is that exactly? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we talk about in, in psychology, there's a phrase that we, uh, a term that we use called uh, frustration tolerance. So the idea being that you have to increase your resilience, you want in your emotional resilience, you want to just in the way that you would be as a trainer, you know, if you're going to the gym and you're training and you're working out your muscles and you want to increase your, you know, your tolerance or your ability to either like lift more weights or run longer, right? Your tolerance of exertion. The same is true psychologically where you want to be able to um, increase your tolerance to experience frustration. The more frustration you can tolerate without imploding, obviously the bigger your life can get, right? Because you can take on more, you can um, do things that feel more scary to you that, you know, you can learn new things because you're willing to feel the frustration of not being able to do it very well, right? You're willing to tolerate that experience. But what we don't talk in, about in psychology, but I think is equally as important is something that I call joy tolerance, right? So you need to, just in the way that we need to develop our tolerance for frustration, we also have to develop our tolerance for joy because what happens is people start to, their life improves, their life gets better. They, you know, they start to get, uh, experience some success and their brain is immediately, you know, like, okay, the other shoe's going to drop. This is not allowed. I'm not allowed to be the successful or I'm not allowed to be this happier and things aren't allowed to go this well. Right. So what ends up happening is then your, your brain sort of wants to regress to the mean, right? So it's like, you're familiar with the feeling of not enoughness and feeling not, you know, either like familiar with the sort of inner critic and, and that feeling of not feeling good enough. So you're, you're going to regress to the mean. So this is when people start to self-sabotage and do things that kind of then blow up the success. So they may have success in professionally and then all of a sudden their relationships are blowing up, right? Or the relationships are going really well and then they drop the ball, something happens at work. So I think, you know, this is a process of like really also doing the work, as you said, realizing that you were afraid of, you really had afraid of success. Um, and often are afraid of success is really, we're afraid of getting successful and then losing it. Yeah, I think, I, mean, I think for me too, it's, um, it's about, um, so I was born in France, came to Australia. And I think that for me, it was about, um, every time I didn't speak the language. Uh, and mm -hmm. so when I was at school, um, I wasn't allowed to go to school first. We were two years in a hostel where we had to go and do migrant English school day and night before we were allowed to go to a primary school. And when mm -hmm. I did go to that school, every time I stood up and spoke, the class would make fun of me or they would ri ridicule me. So there's that as well as um, success could also be moving away, uh, moving around, moving away from family, friends. So yeah. I think because family is a big thing for me, one my yeah. top value. So there's all these other moving parts um, that I think when I unpacked, okay, what was that fear all about? Then it was like I allowed all of these things to come to fruition. I was like, oh, now I get it. Now I see. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, right. If I'm successful, then I'm going to lose the people in my life, right? I won't, I won't be, um, you know, I'm going to lose my tribe or the people won't love me in the same way or they're, they're right. They won't relate to me. Um, or they'll think I'm too good. I'm trying to be too good or I think I'm too good. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to really kind of unearth these belief systems that are locking you at, um, a threshold, right? They're locking you at, in a in a place where you're not able to break through to that next level because on some subconscious level you're holding yourself back because right. it feels so threatening right you feel like you're going to be alienated from the people that you love if you become very successful like that's very threatening mm. yeah to the human brain absolutely so Sasha I'd like to just unpack the inner critic how do you work with your inner critic I mean, I just, I think you have to do, 
I mean, what I do is the practice of self-coaching using the model and doing thought downloads and really examining like, what are my thoughts about myself and what are they creating? Um, and I think it, when you can have that object, like a, you can have a little bit of objectivity with your brain, so much easier to be compassionate, right? Because it's almost impossible to listen to a friend tell you what's going on in their life and the things that they say to themselves or the things that they're experiencing and not feel total love and compassion. Like they're not criticizing them. You understand you're coming from a place of like, I understand, I understand why you would think that or why you might be scared or why you would be so hard on yourself. But you can, when you have a, a degree of like an enormous degree rather of compassion for them. Right. So I think having that a little bit of objectivity with yourself um, and seeing like, why am I telling myself this? Like, why, why am I telling, like, what is, what is this? A, what's this thought creating for me? And also like of all the thoughts that are available to me right now, why am I picking this one? Mm, I love that. It's a nice, simple process too. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, when I'm doing my, um, journaling and I'm doing, I mean, a, a lot of it is just really getting to know yourself. Like, I think it's the ultimate act of self-compassion to spend time with yourself and get to know what's going on under the hood. Yep. Right. We're like, you can't have a loving relationship with yourself if you don't want to spend time with yourself. So true. Yeah. Right. And we're like, Oh, let's listen to an, you know, let's watch another show let's listen to another audio book. I mean, it can even be, let's listen to another podcast and to distract ourselves. I mean, right. Even mm -hmm. if, if it's, even if you're learning something, right. Our brain's very sneaky. It can be a way of distracting yourself from just experience, just being with yourself. Yeah. And that can be scary for some, you know, I, I find that some of the programs I run, uh, it's all about personal development. Uh, and, that it can be quite confronting if they've never had to invest time on themselves. Um, and I always say, just be really kind to yourself and just be compassionate to what comes up. I think sometimes that stops people having to, to you know, like you said, they distract themselves or the brain distracts them so they don't have to really look into what's creating this, you know, whether it's shame, inner critic, fear, whatever that may be. Yeah, I mean, it, absolutely. And, um, and I, by the way, I don't blame people. I understand exactly why. If you have been spent your life being just so hard on yourself and, you know, your brain is the, you know, is vicious with you. Why on earth would you want to spend time with yourself quietly? It's a horror show inside, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yep. it's a much better option to distract yourself with basically anything, whether that's, you know, entertaining yourself having drinks, being with other people, right? Anything to distract yourself from actually probing and looking into, wait, what's going, what are, what are, what's really going on? What am I, what am I, what am I really thinking? What am I really feeling? Why am I doing what I'm doing? How do I really, I mean, just that question alone, how do I really feel? Most people don't want to answer that question at all. Mm. So true. And yet, you know, we seek change. We want things to be different, but we don't want to do the the, the deep work, which is, which is that inner work and that reflection piece, which, as I said, it can be confronting for some, but it's, it's the things that we feel or the things, the discomfort or the resistance that we must lean into. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Mm. And the thing that's so interesting is I think too, we all want to think about change as like this sort of like dramatic transcendent uh, moment, right? It's, it's like, there's this moment of a quantum leap where you just have this sort of dramatic moment of change. But the reality is that change is actually quite mundane and requires a lot of consistency and it's quite boring and you're doing, you know, the same thing over and over and over again to re uh, train your brain and, and rewire your neural circuitry to respond in a different way than it has been in the past. And it's not very dramatic and it's not that necessarily all that exciting in the moment. Right. So, uh, you know, that's a, another part of it where it's like, you know, 
people don't want to be sitting in the boredom. Like we love to be entertained. We love the drama and uh, behavioral change is, is not really that dramatic. It's a thousand, it's a thousand little decisions. It's a thousand little choices to do something differently. I love that. How you put that. It's like working through little nuggets, you know, just small chunks at a time, little steps. Yeah. That's really what it is. Mm. So, Sasha, as we start wrapping up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. That was meant to be brand, by the way. What would be that one <laughs> word for you? Um, oh, my goodness. Humor. Humor, oh, humor, humor. You I have to that. have a sense of humor. You cannot look at you cannot look under the hood and without laughing at yourself because our so we take our thoughts so seriously and they're just made up we've made them all up they're totally optional and we've made them all up and we, we it's like in the buffet of thoughts available to us so like the, the all you can eat buffet of thoughts we just pick the most the worst <laughs> we're so like true. let's let's pick the worst thoughts to think about ourselves. And the thing is, there's no rules. You have permission to think whatever you want about yourself, right? So you can't do this work without having a sense of humor or it just, you know, it feels so heavy, but it doesn't have to, right? Develop a personal growth and working on yourself and challenging yourself and growing. Like it really can be fun and it really can be funny when you allow it to be. Mm, I agree. I think there, there's got to be uh, um, a fun approach makes it so much easier to work with. And the last yeah. thing, the last question we always love to ask our woman of inspiration is to pick three shiny golden nuggets for our listeners. So Sasha, what would be three practical exercises for our audience today? Well, the first would be um, the cognitive coaching model, like take a stab at you know, if you're, whatever you're doing, just ask yourself the question, like, what's the thought that's creating this feeling? If you're feeling anxious, what's the thought I'm thinking that's creating this? Like just that question alone will change your life and beginning to question your thinking. The second, um, tool I would, that I'm sort of playing with in my life right now is something I'm calling the, the positivity thermostat or like a happiness thermostat, which is the idea that, Nobody else obviously can set it for you. You set it, but it's really funny when you start to look at your life and you think like, oh, isn't that interesting? I'm totally fine with my family doing really well and my kids being healthy and happy and my relationship with my husband being great. But then you add on, you know, professional success to that mix. And all of a sudden that feels very scary, <laughs> right? Mm. So you just realize like, oh, that's like a little bit, that's a too, the temperature is too hot. Like my thermostat is set too low. So like thinking about, um, you know, where do you want to set your happiness thermostat? You get to set it. What do you want to decide on purpose is all right and acceptable and not only acceptable, but fantastic. Like, what do you want to give yourself permission to allow in your life, right? How mm. good or happy are you willing to allow your life to be? And like really thinking about where you want to set your happiness thermostat sort of as a visual um, for you. And then the third sort of practical, fun um, little tool or exercise I would give is something that I call psychosomatic because you feel very psycho doing it, but just smiling in the shower. No one has to see you. You're in the shower. You're by yourself. Um, maybe <laughs> if you're lucky, maybe you're not, but you're in your, the shower by yourself. You can smile and just the act of smiling and turning the corners of your mouth up releases chemicals in your brain that actually make you feel better. So it's just a very easy, uh, thing to do that just will increase your positive emotion and boost your, um, levels of positivity in your day. And it's just a silly thing. And, um, and yeah, you feel kind of, you, you feel a little bit like a, a little loony doing it, but it works. Oh, I love that. And, um, I love the, I, I love all of them actually, but I love the the smile one. It's so true. I always say if you get out of bed, um, or the wrong side of bed, or the wrong side of your bed, and meaning you know you're in one of those moods, try skipping mm -hmm. and staying in a, in a bad mood. It's impossible. So mm -hmm. we can trick our mind with our body, yeah. with our physiology, whether it's a smile, or whether it's a skip, whatever that may be. So I love that. 
Yeah, like it's really, it's an amazing little, it's a little tool and you can also do it at your desk. It's really amazing. Like it's very hard to physically smile and still be feeling, you know, in an assessed pool of negative emotion. So true. So Sasha, where is the best place for our listeners to find you? Uh, well, my favorite place to hang out is on Instagram. My handle is at Dr. Sasha Hines. So Dr. Dr. Sasha Hines. So Dr. S A S H A H E I N Z. And um, I am also on my website, which is the same uh, URL, which is uh, www.drsashahinz.com. So drsashahines.com. Sasha, we'll have those in the show notes. I can't thank you enough for your uh, wisdom, your time, and your energy. It's been lots of fun. Thank you so much. What a joy. Thank you so much for the joy. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit the subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplanner.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Until next week, wishing you a fabulous day.